Welcome to Return to Ease, the show where we talk about different ways to live with more intention. Each week, we will discuss different ways to learn how to nourish our mind, body, and soul. I'm your host, Rachel Pecora. I'm a licensed massage therapist and a John F. Barnes-trained myofascial release therapist. I am passionate about living an authentic life and want to help you return to ease. Welcome back to another episode of Return to Ease. Today, I have a special guest, Devorah Kerr. And Devorah is a trauma therapist, a somatic experiencing practitioner, a reflexologist, logotherapist, and a bereavement counselor. She is the author of the book, Man's Search for Healing. And she is an international motivational speaker on the mind-body connection and how to be an active part in one's own healing journey. Today, we're going to talk about how she uses mental imagery to heal. And we will also talk about medical and shock trauma and how we don't have to carry our traumatic wounds forever. So welcome to the show, Deborah. Deborah, I'm sorry, I I mispronounced it already. (laughs) That's okay. Yeah, it's Deborah. Um, Thanks, Rachel. Thank you. It's lovely to be here to speak to your audience. Well, welcome. I'm so excited to chat with you today. Um, I can't wait to hear a little bit about your story. I know my audience will love to hear about all of the things that you do because I think I've just given them a mouthful. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Where do we start? How about you give us a little bit of your backstory, if you don't mind? Okay, sure. So actually, like the first part of my life was really happy and blessed. And I was in a career that was deeply fulfilling. I was in interior design and corporate. I absolutely loved it. I have a creative side. And then in my late 20s, my father was diagnosed with cancer. And uh, it was really, I was very close to him and this was big news and bad news. There was not much hope given. It was very sudden. And I became obsessed with reading up about how the patient can help themselves, what they can do. And my background was in design and, you know, in art. It wasn't in um, healing at all. And um, he was given three months to live and he... Lucky for us, we had 14 months with him. Oh, wow. Yeah. So in that time, I really, um, I feel like I went through my own transformation of, uh, you know, what was meaningful and important to me. It wasn't so much like the, you know, interior design. It was more about interior healing. Yeah. And um, I was gobbling up any books I could find um, on, um Uh, what the role of the patient can be, you know, how instead of handing over our power to doctors, how we can be active participants with the doctors, how we actually do have a role to play. Yes, there is so much that you can't control, but there is still so much that you can. And this, um, after my father died, I continued um, working in my initial um, career, but then this nagging voice inside of me that I wanted to help people. And now I was wanting to help myself also heal from this huge loss of this wonderful man in my life to to heal as well. So I was pulled into, you know, this healing world and not knowing where to start with that. So I went to study reflexology. And this was very exciting for me because I now had 
a forum and a, an, an in on how to help people that weren't well. And, um, and I loved this. But it, this also became limiting for me because you can't just work with the body. Right. You know, I think in, um, in, in olden ways of thinking, like if you break your arm, you go to the doctor. If you break your heart, you go to the psychologist. <laughs> right. And I became very aware that while infertility clients came to me to get their um, hormonal system fixed or, you know, their ovaries or uterus, you know, changed or fixed or cleansed or working at their optimum, um, there was deep uh, sadness that came with it, um, hopefulness that was dashed at the end of the month when a new um, cycle would appear. And so I was realizing that you can't just work with a body. That's not where healing's coming from. There's so much more. But I didn't have the tools to help people. So um, I felt like, you know, let me just get your hormones right. You know, let's get the blood flowing correctly. And, and don't speak to me about why can't I have a baby? Because like that I can't answer. Right. But I felt like I felt like almost inadequate. Like that's that's not what I want how I want to be helping. I want to help deeper. I want to help with the the change, the why me, why can't I have the baby to what happens now that I can't have a baby? Why what now? And I didn't know how. And um, as like synchronicity would happen. I read a book by Dr. Viktor Frankl mm -hmm. called Man's Search for Meaning. Yeah. And I don't know if you've read that book or you're, you're familiar with it, Rachel. I'm familiar with it. I haven't read it, but I, I'm familiar with the, the work, yeah. So his work is um, was deeply touching for me, and then it became a 10-year journey of studying his, his um, thinking, which is called logotherapy. Okay. And in Greek, the word logos means meaning. So his outlook is all about how do you find meaning in struggle and difficulty? And the truth of the matter is, I mean, all your guests and your listeners and us, you and myself, everybody has challenges and difficulties. No one's living in Mauritius or in Disneyland. Like we all have life happening to us. And it is about, and this is what he was exploring, was what now? What do you do? How do you meet yourself? How do you even know what that part of you that can overcome these difficulties and challenges? And he was exploring all, all of this in the 1930s. And he was a Jew who was living in Vienna just before the, the Second World War, the Holocaust. And he thought he would be safe because he was um, a neurologist and um, a psychiatrist. And he thought he would have uh, protection because of his you know, status in the community, but he didn't, unfortunately. And he landed up spending four years in the concentration camps. But because of what he was bringing in with him, his tools, he had been studying what helps people overcome difficulty. And now he was thrown into this um, environment of difficulty, struggle, um, hatred, um, uh, slaughter, all sorts of um, terrible things. And what he realized is that there's a human experiment taking place of which he's part of that will probably never be repeated again, where everybody was identical. No one had clothes. No one had names. No one had hair. No one had money. No one had status. No one had belongings. Everyone worked the same, ate the same, and slept the same. But he was curious, how come? Some did better than others. 
Now, what is it inside ourselves that despite the external circumstances, you can overcome? And this is what he looked to see in himself. What is it in himself and what was it in others? And so he came up with a few um, uh, things that that helped him. This, the first, one of the first things was that he, you know, he went into the camps with a wife and he didn't know where she was, but he knew at the back of his mind how she would expect him to behave. Mm. So this was kind of like a dignity that he could try and make her proud each day of how he behaved, even although he was starving, he was um, petrified, you know, he was scared for his life every moment of the day. He still thought, you know, if my wife was watching me now, how would she want me to behave, right? So he had like a almost a level of, of behavior he, he held himself towards. The other thing was like he realized that he can't be a, a, um, a doctor in this situation. He's a prisoner, but that didn't mean he still couldn't be a doctor. Right. So he still knew his identity and he started using it. So he would go around to the suicidal um, uh, prisoners and he would try and give them a sense of hope. You've got a cousin in America. Maybe, you know, one day you'll get out of here and you can go and be with them. You know, that you've got a son somewhere or you still have a book to write and you haven't written it yet. You know, don't give up now. So he was walking around and he was, while he was a prisoner, he was trying to give hope. And he would spend time in the infirmary going to the, the prisoners who were too sick to even show up for work. And he would try and give them hope. You're going to get better. And he realized that hope is such a, a deep part of overcoming. If we can see hope, then we can see a future, yeah. right? And so he tried to breed this amongst himself, first and foremost, and the people around him. And also another thing that he did was he would look, no matter how hard or how devastating or how tragic his day was or how meaningless it was, he could still look that at the end of the day, after a hard day's work, when he was starving, the sun would set and there would be some beauty that no one could take away from him. Mm. Yeah. So one day while he was working on, he had this menial job of working on the rail, rail tracks, railroad tracks, and he used to use his hand for surgery. He used to use his hands for healing and he was using them for nonsense. <laughs> one day he had this thought to himself, wow, maybe in the future he is going to speak to students in a well-fed students in an auditorium and he's going to teach about how he got through this and all of a sudden he had a goal wow. and every day when he was losing hope he would go back to that no he's got something to share and he's got something to teach and impart and to awaken in others who might feel desperate and so that's how he got through four years he got through in this situation every day in danger and he got through and afterwards, he wrote this book called Man's Search for Meaning, okay? And it is our, um, our, if we go beyond the pain of the circumstances we're experiencing, what we really want to do is overcome them. What we really want to do is know I can get through this, right? So this is what he wrote about. So when I learned about this, I was like, wow, now I can help. My infertility clients or my cancer patients who were like, I'm too young to have cancer. I don't want to die. I'm too young. 
then I could work with them. I had something to work with. What does that mean for you now that this might be the end for you? Mm -hmm. What would you like to contribute to the world if this is going to be your end? And so we started looking at not about like, why do I have to be sick? But about what could you contribute? What have you learned through this illness? How has this changed who you are? And I, I started feeling and sensing that, wow, that, that this is actually something that can breed hope in people. That while, while they might not have control, and we don't, we don't have control on what's the next step, but we do have control over something. And if we can ignite that in someone, then it breeds hope and then they can start maybe moving forward. So this was um, something huge for me that, that I, I noticed. And um, Dr. Viktor Frankl was a huge influence on the work that, that I do, and especially in the medical realm people suffering with illnesses. And what we also know, Rachel, is that none of us are going to live forever. The greatest right. of human beings have died. You know, if we look at Mandela, we look at Mother Teresa or Gandhi or Moses, like these great human beings have died, Martin Luther King. These people have died, right? And that is also going to happen to us. So the question is not really like, I want to live forever. 500 years, will that be enough? Like, I want. it's not about that. The big mm. question is, how are you living? Not right. about how we are, are wishing not to die, but how are we living today? You know, yeah. what are we doing today to show up in a meaningful way? So this for me is very important. And I feel like everyone can be empowered with the right questioning and help and mindset to come to this place of what now? I can't control that I got sick. Like even COVID was the great um, equalizer for all of us that we couldn't yeah. control it was happening mm -hmm. and actually that was the impetus for me to write my book because my reflexology clinic had to close because of lockdown no yeah. one could come in so now I had free time I could start uh, what was I going to do with that time was I going to bemoan my earnings have gone down my business is half my business is closed because I still had the logotherapy side of counseling which and therapy which I could do online but there was a big chunk of what, what I couldn't do. And I used that as an opportunity to say, let me further this. Let me get this book out. Let me write about this. Let me help others help themselves. So out of a difficult situation, when we respond, what now? It helps us not be a victim of our circumstances, but it helps us rise above it. So for me, I, I've taken the, um, the difficulties and the challenges, specifically also in the medical realm, and to help people to, to see, well, where do they have some sort of choices? Where, where can they use their attitude? How can they maybe be grateful what is working and helping? And how can these things help to find meaning in the situation now? What new doors are being opened? Are they meeting people who maybe they can support as well? And um, what is happening now? And so, so my book, which is based on the logotherapy principles, is called Man's Search for Healing, because I think that's what we're all looking for. Absolutely. So that's where, where I came to. And then also what I studied was um, somatic experiencing, which is trauma therapy, yeah. which brings everything together so beautifully, the body, the mind the traumas, the yeah. meaning, it ties everything so beautifully together. So, yeah. Yeah. Did you study with Peter Levin? 
So um, Peter Levine is my teacher's teacher. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. 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 I'm familiar so, with his work and I it goes along with- His um, model. His yeah, model. it's fabulous. And a lot of the the myofascial release work that I work, you know, that I do with uh-huh. clients, um, it's that, you know, fight or flight, freeze yes. response. And it's yes. it's fascinating how it all it all works together and how the mind and the body is not separable. <laughs> it's all no, we can't separate. And that's yeah. actually one of the chapters in my book is called the mind-body connection. Really okay. understanding we can't separate. If we right. are waiting for a call from the doctor, that has a physical manifestation in my body of nervousness. Yeah. Like what the mind and the body cannot be separated. So if we learn to show up and if we even learn to start looking, what's my body saying right now? What is what? And if you're working on that, it's, it's a release of not just, oh, this muscle is stuck, but what caused that? What, what's the thinking behind it or the beliefs? What can we release on all those levels? Absolutely. I'm a really big fan or I, I really, I really connect with that because I've learned in my own experience through my own personal journey and now helping clients reach, you know, pain-free or a better lifestyle or whatever that I, you know, helping them achieve their goals. I know that I have to work on my thoughts about what's going on in my own body because those thoughts will trigger more symptoms, quote unquote, or more spiraling or more spinning or more stuckness, whatever it might be. So yeah, I really have to look at those thoughts and see, you know, what are my beliefs about this or can I change now? Can I have a different thought? You know, so absolutely. And that's where we feel empowered when we can show up and say, wow, you know, this belief is not working for me anymore. How can I change it? You know, maybe it did work for me. And this is exactly what happens in trauma is that, um, we 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 go through something traumatic maybe as a child and then we we say to ourselves that will never happen to me again mm-hmm. so we adopt a certain behavior which which is so correct and appropriate for seven years old but right. at age 30 it's not working anymore yeah so can we look at that and can we try and and see how we can heal that part of seven so that it doesn't need that belief anymore yeah you know yeah, yeah. And it's also interesting, and I'm sure you've experienced this too, but for me personally, like if I look back on things that I had a a belief on, say as a child, and I look at it with adult eyes, it's like, I don't have to think that anymore. I'm I'm an adult. I can choose to think about it differently, or I can choose a different way of being or a different thought. And just because that's how I've done it forever, doesn't mean that's how I have to continue to do it. Absolutely. And especially if we know there's a part that has a belief and it is seven years old or something, then we can curiously get to know that part. And we could also ask that part, how old that part thinks we are today. And that part might think we are still seven. So in getting to know that part and being curious, we could update them. Do you know I've been through some hard things? Do you know I've learned this and this? Do you know that I actually have some tools now that I don't need the response from age seven anymore or that belief system that we can invite that part to come out of that trauma it doesn't have to stay there yeah yeah Yeah. do you think those things they stay with us for a long time then if we don't do they ever go away on their own if we don't deal with them or what is your experience on that yeah so it's so interesting for me because sometimes 
we intellectually like work through things, but there's still a piece stuck in the body, in the nervous system. That's where I find somatic experiencing is so magnificent because it helps the discharge. Mm. uh, One of my clients um, witnessed, uh, didn't witness, but her her daughter um, was eight or nine, was knocked over by a bus and then had a brain injury afterwards. And for many years, she's working with, you know, rehabilitating her daughter and she's gone for a lot of therapy to get help. And she went for therapy, like to talk it out, right? And she she said, you know, when when she tried to knew with me with somatic experiencing, you know, I asked her, you know, when you saw your daughter for the first time after, you know, that you know that you'd heard she was in hospital and you came rushing over, what, what did you notice? And she she was overcome with fear of seeing her daughter. You know, her head was in a certain way and the doctors hadn't prepared her of what she was going to see. Oh, And so this this fear, this fright, even though she'd been for years of therapy to speak about it, the fright was still in her body. Mm -hmm. And once we could let it out, then she could, you know, that that piece was now completed. Yeah. So sometimes just speaking about it isn't enough. We need to go into the body and actually discharge it because yeah. then a, a deeper healing can take place. Yeah. I, I know that, um, you know, I, I'm aware of this because this happens with the work that I do as well. It's, you know, you have to feel it to heal it. But I think sometimes mm. people, I hear this from clients and things that it's scary. They're, you know, they're scared to go down that road. They're afraid to open up that door because yes. what if it's too much that they can't handle or what if they're not actually prepared to deal with it? If we've had traumatic yeah. things to relive them is traumatic in itself so and the the goal of somatic experiencing actually is exactly the opposite of what you're saying it's not to let the client relive it to get it out of their system what we actually do like I just explained about my client I didn't go to the the most impactful part of her daughter got knocked over we went to the part which is the the skin of the onion of as you noticed her for the first time, what's happening? And she's like, oh, oh my God, I thought I had gotten over that. But she hadn't. So we don't go to the part of how scary was the surgery and what was the rehabilitation like, because that's too much to go to. We go to just the part on the outside and we go so gently in, in somatic experiencing, it's called titration. We go so gently and we take something, this little piece of the, the, the trauma side and we bring it then into the healing place. And then we might also allow the, the client to, to feel some resources, you know, and, and, and another stage of your life, what did you notice about getting through something difficult? And she'll, she might say, oh, I noticed that there's a strong part in me. And I say, can you feel that strong part now? Can we just get in touch with it? Yeah. And once she can do that and she's released a little bit of that, we can go back in maybe a little bit deeper. Yeah, somatic experiencing is so gentle and so respectful to the nervous system that what they couldn't talk about in the beginning, eventually, and maybe it's not the first session or the second, but maybe on the third session, they're like, wow, I never used to be able to go to this part. I always used to say, I can't talk about that piece. Right. But I'm noticing that now 
I actually can get there because we've like removed one layer and then another so gently and respectfully and at their pace. And that's what's important. You know, yeah. we, we, we go from the one, the trauma side, but we then go into the healing side because we have to integrate it in the system and make sure it's been discharged before we go to the next thing. Yeah, yeah. I think our body has a way of knowing what we're uh, allowing in too. You know, we're, we won't allow too much at once. We can take in just a little bit at a time. and um, A little bit at a time. That's yeah. the secret in somatic experiencing. Just Can you just, as you even think of telling me about the incident, Let's see what comes up in your body. Don't even want to hear the answer. Just as you contemplate going there, what do you notice? Wow. And then, and then they might say, well, I'm getting choked up here. And we might spend the whole session on that if they, if they can't get past that. Yeah. But they will, if we can discharge it, then they'll be able to say, and then I noticed this, mm. right? So then they go a little bit deeper. But if we do it so gently, then we'll get deeper and deeper. Yeah. And they'll feel like they have the resources to get there as well. Yeah. That's what I think that's what healing is about is being able to do it on your own. You can hire all the people that you want, but if you don't do the work yourself, you'll never, you'll never reach those goals of those deeper layers that we all ultimately want. We all want to get to those, but if yeah. we don't do it ourselves, you know, we need some yeah. help sometimes, but we need some help sometimes. And that's why you and I are there to be able to help people accompany them on their journey. But it is a decision the client needs to make, like uh, like I said in the beginning, being an active participant in the healing journey. Yeah. They're running the show. They're saying, you know, you're going too fast for me, or you know, I'm ready for more, or you know, where the, where the, where they're at. Yeah. Do you have any um, ways that people can tune into their body a little bit better to notice some of these things? Um, I notice sometimes when I work with people, I'll ask them what they're feeling or where they're feeling it in their body. And most people, not most, a lot of people are very disconnected from, we're just kind of taught to do that, to disconnect from our feelings and what we're feeling inside. So a lot of people say, I don't feel anything. I don't know. I don't know what I'm feeling and that's okay. But is there a way to maybe bring some awareness back to the body so that they can start to feel some of these things? So we want to first and foremost, make sure that the body is a safe place to go to. If Mm. someone doesn't feel their body, it's for good reason. So we want to first make sure that there wasn't some type of abuse to the body because then the body's not going to be. So we first want to be able to create safety around the body. And um, so we would introduce that as well. Um, but we, we might say to them, like, um, uh, you know, do you notice sometimes that there's a certain type of music you do like and there's a certain type you don't like, that there's a knowing inside, this is good for me, this isn't good for me. So yeah. the body, the body, we might like introduce it in a totally harmless way, like yeah. knowing, knowing what kind of pressure your body enjoys in the shower. Do you like that pelting or the one strong one? Or do you like a cascade? Like yeah. just look at the, you know what your body likes and doesn't like. Yeah. So when you're speaking about something difficult, your body also knows where do you feel that. So we we might say to them, like, um, I can see that this is difficult for you now. Do you maybe feel it in your hands or your throat? 
or is it in your chest? And they might say, oh, um, they might say, my whole body feels, you know, this pain right now. So you might be curious and say, like, even in your feet, do you feel this pain? They say, actually, it's not in my feet. They say, oh, that's great. Let's notice it's not also in your feet. How about your knees? They say, no, actually, and then you might get them to the, but actually it's between here, you know, my, my neck and my sternum. That's where it's concentrated. And then you'd say, like, isn't that great that you can be aware of that, that you found the place? And then they might not know what's actually going on in there. And so you might suggest a few words like, well, does it feel like a pressure or does it feel like a stabbing feeling or does it feel like a heat or what does it feel like? It's definitely not a pressure. It's more like a pulsing. Oh, that's great that you notice that. So can you just be with the pulsing? And then we, like, explore a little bit deeper, like, if this person could speak, what would it say? So we go in a little bit deeper. So for me, it's interesting where in the body it is, because also certain body parts have um, a certain function. Yeah. And actually in my book, I have um, a lot of case studies and stories of either my own personal journey of finding healing through body parts speaking to me or clients who who have learned like certain body parts, you know, like say for instance, um, our shoulders. If someone is having shoulder pain, it could be like the um, the Beatles song, "Hey Jude, don't carry the world on your shoulders." Yeah, it could be that you've got a burden, it's weighing down, or someone's pressing down on you. So if shoulder pain comes up, we might want to explore that type of speaking. Yeah, you know. Or if um, uh, eye pain is coming up, maybe there's something you've seen that was painful for you. Or maybe there's something you're not seeing that your eyes are trying to communicate. So for me, body parts and what's going on and where it is in the body is also a clue. So, you know, your listeners can start getting in touch with, well, where is this in my body? You know, is it my digestive system? Then they can start asking questions like, what's not going down so well? Or if it's, say, constipation, what am I holding on to that I can't let go of? My body is echoing a more internal pain, you know, more struggle. The physical sensation is just the knock on the door from inside. Hey, you know, like I'm constipated. I can't let go of this. Can we look at what you can't let go of? Could be that, you know, or um, it, it could be any kind of a speaking from internal. So I love to help people connect to their bodies, what they're speaking, what, and how then we go in in a gentle way, not what, you know, constipation. Why did I have to be this way? That's not going to help. It's yeah. more like, oh, thank you for telling me that. Yeah. Now can I address this? How can I lovingly look at this? Not, you know, I brought this upon myself from all these years of being in a certain way. That's not going to get us anywhere. But now that your body has lovingly communicated this with you, what can we do next? Yeah. Yeah. It's funny that you say that I recently had an ear infection and I haven't had an ear infection since I was a kid. And when it, when I found out that I had this ear infection, I'm, you know, my first thought was like, why do I have this ear infection? And then I kind of paused and I thought, what am I not hearing? Like what, what am I not hearing or something? You know, is there some, some symbolic thing to this? Is there something else underneath this ear infection? Because why do I have an ear infection? I mean, I know we get sick and we have things that happen, but I did question. I'm like, why, what am I not listening to? Or what am I not hearing? So yeah. I, yeah. you know, I'm 
keeping that in the back of my mind because I know, I know my body and I know what my body is trying to tell me all the time. (laughs) At least I'm And even, even to send the message to the ear of saying, I'm open to hearing, to hearing, right? I'm open to hearing more, you know, you can share with me. I'd love to, I'd love to know. Yeah. So we, we start delving a little bit deep into the body. Then, then it gives us clues. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's beautiful. I think that's a a really empowering way to look at things and really come to our own body with compassion because everyone has had something traumatic happen to them on different levels, um, physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, whatever. And I think to just be able to offer that compassion to those areas um, and really give it tenderness is where we can do a lot of self-healing and not shaming ourselves for having some kind of, you know, problem that, oh, I, why, why this? And I I have to feel bad about this and just really offering that love to it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I I think that's, that's the, the main ingredient for healing to take place, you know, because if we do shame ourselves, then that part that has been exiled, um, can start to feel like not only do I feel so bad about myself, but she's also rejecting me now. Yeah. So then, then it goes even deeper. Yeah. So so one of the things to look at um, is um, I, I, I call this unfinished business, and I speak about this also in the book, about, um, you know, sometimes we go through hard stuff and we do resolve it. We are resilient and we can get through things where we feel Oh, that was horrible, but I got through it. Yeah. Proud of myself. I learned a lot about myself and it's done. That's completed trauma. But sometimes there's stuff where people will say, Look, how are you doing about that event? And you say, I don't want to talk about it. This is called unfinished business, mm-hmm. right? And we, we, we might think, you know, I've buried it. I don't speak about it. I don't go there and it's gone, but yeah. it's not. It's under the system. And even an onion, if we put an onion in the dark, in the dark cupboard, it grows. It continues growing slowly. So what we want to do is if we have unfinished business, this is also a clue for us, you know, of, um, uh, hey, you know, it's unfinished. Yeah. Can you go there from the compassionate way and can you look at it and, and see what we can do to... Sometimes these things come into our lives to bring us to know ourselves deeper. Yeah. You know, we 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 didn't definitely didn't choose it, but we've been chosen, you know, like to to can we overcome the situation? And sometimes it's too painful. We lock it away for 10 years or 20 years or 50 years. We just don't don't ask me about that person. Do not mention their name in front of me. Right? Yeah. And that's when we know that there, there's something still happening inside ourselves that's yeah. not healthy. Right. You know. So it's come into our life for a reason. We we by asking what's the reason, you know, why why me? Why did this happen? There yeah. will not be an answer that can satisfy the pain that people go through. Yeah. But there is a response of what now? Yeah. Right? So if we feel pulled down and victim of our circumstances, we, we can never grow and, you know, through them or past them or overcome them, 
But it's when we start asking that question of what now? Well, what resources do I have to, to, to slowly start looking at that unfinished business? Then we can, or if we can't alone, we can go to people who can help us. Yeah. We, we don't, you know, we are not an island. We don't have to be an island. And uh, we are sometimes called upon to need help from others. And there's also a message and a learning in that. And actually, this is what, what actually happened to me um, a year ago. Actually, today, a year ago, today, one year ago, I had a terrible, terrible accident, terrible trauma, traumatic accident. I fell on my head and I broke my neck. Oh, wow. Yeah. Terrible. And it was, it was, I was, when it happened, I was locked in a room on my own. I couldn't get up to unlock the door to get out. So it was a terrible accident. Yeah. And what happened, thank God, as you can see, I'm moving my head and I've survived. And um, that was the best result. I got from what well, it could have been like death or paralyzed, could have been any of those, C2 yeah. with fraction. Oh. And um, this this part of me that wanted to, to like get better and heal, I can do this on my own, needed to learn, you know what, you can't. <laughs> yeah. You need people. And sometimes we can't do it on our own. And sometimes that is the lesson like you've tried, you know, you've tried on your own and there's so many books out there and people who can resonate and help you accompany you on your journey. If you have decided to show up, then that's the most important ingredient. If you are ready yeah. for the healing, then you know the right people will show up or the right book will show up to help you on your journey to healing. Absolutely. So actually, like my book was written and um, and then I had this terrible accident and I had to then take all my tools and apply them to my own healing. So it was like, can I walk the talk now? So I added then an extra chapter to the book on how I then applied mm-hmm. all this to my own healing. So yeah. Um, yeah, I feel I feel, you know, I feel like I did so well and I'm so proud of myself on this that journey that, that there's so much I impart in that chapter, how I broke my neck. Mm-hmm. Um to help others, you know, who are struggling with the overwhelm of, of, of medical conditions. And, and it doesn't mean that, I mean, in my situation, I healed. Yeah. But sometimes we don't. Right. And there, there's another chapter in my book which looks at this, the difference between being healed and being cured. Okay. Sometimes we can't be healed. Yeah. Sometimes in my situation, I was lucky. But in other situations, people aren't. They can be paralyzed. Okay. Sure. So there isn't a cure for that now. If someone has an autoimmune disease, there's no cure for that. Yeah. But that doesn't mean there can't be a healing. Right. Uh, and that I'm also passionate about working with people. Let's yeah. not try and change what can't be changed. Yeah. This is a fact right now. Say a terminal patient will come to me. There's no cure for you right now. But there's still a healing option. Absolutely. Use how you teach your your loved ones how to die with dignity. Or you get to choose how to be with your loved ones before you die. And there's so much healing that can come, even although curing might not come. Right. Yeah. So I'm also very passionate about speaking on that. 
Yeah, I think that's beautiful. Um, so my mom actually passed away almost a year ago this month and um, she she had cancer and she did not share her diagnosis with anyone. Um, so when she passed, it was very unexpected for the family. And, you know, there's a lot of pain still there from the not knowing and, you know, the loss of your mother and, you know, all of the things that go along with, um, grief, but I've learned to realize that she did it on her own terms. She went about her life the way she wanted to end her life. You know, she lived her last uh, couple of years the way she wanted to. And we traveled and we didn't know that she was ill, but we still went and traveled and we did all these things and we made memories and not knowing why, but she didn't want to probably be looked at that she had an illness and be treated any differently. So she got to decide that. And you know, at the end of the day, she gets to make that decision and we still have the memories, you know, we, we might've done things differently if we knew she was sick, like maybe we would have treated her differently or maybe our relationship would have been different. Who knows? So, um, I don't know. There's still a lot of feeling around that, but it's, it is interesting. Of course. And firstly, I'm so sorry for your loss and the way that it happened for you. Yeah. there's, there's so many mixed emotions that come mm-hmm. up with it as well. And and part of the healing process is to give a voice to each one of them. Like yeah. there's the voice of the anger, you know, yeah. the, the disappointment. The mom, you couldn't share that with me, yeah. you know. And they, I'm also hearing the processing of um, she decided, and you can really respect that about her, of shielding you, it says so much about um, how much she loved you and wanted yeah. to protect you from that. So the, there's so many different little pieces here. Yeah. And we always when I work with bereavement, because I'm also a bereavement counsellor, when I work with that, I, I love to, to honour the part that's feeling um, furious and angry and how dare you take that away from me and not let me know. And because if we don't give that part a voice, it gets squashed down. Yeah. And it's so important to for your own healing to to come to the part where you can forgive her. It's another chapter in the book yeah. all around forgiveness, where you can forgive um and and for yourself. It's it's for her as well, but for yourself as well. That wow. to come to that place of healing, um, it's yeah. it's so so important to allow the whole array of emotions to be heard and felt. And sometimes it's it's hard for people because they they don't want to speak ill of of someone who's passed away, or they don't want to speak badly, or even they feel guilt or shame. How can I feel this way? There, you know, they died. They had so much to deal with, and now look at me feeling angry with them. And I say, you know what, let, let's just allow for that space. You know, can, can the part of you that is judging your feelings just step aside a little bit and can we just allow that that anger, that fury to be here, yeah. you know, without the shaming yourself? Because yeah. then the part that feels so sad or, or so angry feels, you know, she won't even listen to me. I can't bring my emotions to her, you yeah. know. So, so we, when we give it a space, then... It, that, those exiled parts of us, you know, which is a concept from internal family systems, 
they feel, oh, she is giving me a space. I can trust her. Yeah. And then healing can take place. Yeah. I think all of the all of the feelings are should be welcomed at the table in, in whatever situation that people are healing from because everyone's, yeah. you know, got a different story. And even if like you're dealing with chronic pain or a chronic disease, there's still yeah. all of those emotions still come up. It doesn't matter what the yeah. the trauma or the you know. Yeah. The problem is so yeah. yeah. On the one hand, someone might be feeling acceptance. Yeah, this is their lot. This is what they've got. But on the other hand, they might still be feeling resentful. Yeah. And if both of those can sit at the table, as you said, then they have a voice. And it's so beautiful to honor that. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, this is beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing all of this. I, I could talk to you for hours probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it feels like we just touching that the the surface of it i know you have to have like a a, another episode for each chapter of your book and we'll just like you know go through each one and (laughs) i'm I'm happy to come back again with pleasure yeah it's wonderful speaking with you yeah thank you do you have any um do you have any tips for people that were maybe they're trying to live with a little bit more intention in their daily lives? Do you have any suggestions for them as something that they could practice maybe to be a bit sure. more mindful? Yeah. So I think that's the key word is mindful. Like yeah. notice um, when it comes up, say sadness, instead of like saying, I can't deal with you now, rather like um, put your hand there where the, the sadness is and say, I yeah. got you. I can feel you, to just um, uh, recognize and validate that pain that comes up. Or, you know, when 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 we're disappointed, say, oh, that sucks, I get it. I really feel it now, it's okay. Yeah. Like when we can show up in that loving way for ourselves instead of judging, you know, why we're we feeling that way or that it's not appropriate, but when we can really show up then, you know, the parts of us that are so scared that they, they, they start to trust us more. So it's being mindful, you know, whoa, what's going on for me now? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Of course, of course you're there. Of course. It's reasonable that you've shown up and, and I'm here for you. Like yeah. uh, there's there's this t- um, wonderful um, uh, man, Thich Han, and and he says you, you put your hand over the place and you say, dear one, of course you're there. I'm here for you. Yeah. And I love that, that absolute compassion for ourselves, then um, then we can start healing. Yeah. 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 That's beautiful. Thank you so much. That's it's yeah. my pleasure. Yeah. Where can um where can people find your book, The Man Search for Healing? Yeah, so it's on Amazon. Amazon. And they can just Google or Google on Amazon. Um uh, my name, Devorah Kerr, D-E-V-O-R-A-H, and the surname Kerr, K-U-R, mm-hmm. and the book, Man's Search for Healing. And I feel like it's a beautiful gift to the world when people want to be helping themselves, like yeah. a real start. If you're not ready to work with someone yet, it's a real start to um, to empower people with tools. So mm-hmm. that's there. And also through my website, people can find me. It's um, called DK Wellness, my initials D and K Wellness dot C O dot I L. 
and you can find me there and you can be in touch. I do um, online therapy sessions, which is another gift that COVID has given us. We didn't know that we could do these things. And even like if you feel how I feel very close and connected to you right now and we're thousands of miles apart. I know. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful space that we can create um, through the the internet, which I'm so grateful for, to be able to be more available to a wider wider audience. So, yeah, I am available. If anyone wants to take their processes deeper, I'll be happy for that. And then I, I have a, a YouTube channel and a LinkedIn. So people want to go on Facebook. So I'll send you those details. You can put them, yeah. put them up as well. Yeah. yeah, we'll link them below in the show notes. That way people can check you out if they have further, they want to know more and get your book. Your book sounds beautiful. I'm going to have to check it out too. So yeah. thank you. Thank, thank you. you so much for being here today. It's my pleasure. It was a real privilege. And, and we had such a wonderful, deep conversation. Thank you for that. Thank you. All right, everyone. Well, thanks for joining us on another episode and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Return to Ease. Before you go, show some love for this podcast by leaving a review. I'd love to hear from you and stay tuned for the next episode.